Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of the directed video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week is our 2021 Year in Review. episode marks our one-year anniversary of the podcast. We've been at this long enough to talk about 50 films so far, and we thought it might be fun to give out some awards to celebrate the best of 1991 as we saw it in 2021. Um, there are a lot of strong categories lined up that we have picked for, uh, for you all, and we have a lot more movies to cover in the future. So just to give you an idea, in terms of box office performance, we've only watched two out of the top 10 performing movies from 1991, only eight of the top 25. And on the other end, we've only talked about eight movies that didn't even have a theatrical release. And so there's a lot left to watch. Uh, But even so, in this list, in this awards season, in this awards show, there are some very strong contenders. There's some very good performances. And I think we have a, a solid lineup of movies off of this. So for today's award show, we're going to be bringing you a mix of the traditional categories you would see at like the Oscars, Golden Globes, some of our MTV Movie Awards favorites, and also a couple of Razzies that we're mixing in here. Um, all we're really missing is like a Billy Crystal monologue, and we're not going to have a three runner. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to have a three hour running time. So <laughs> no, we're not going to have uh, any skits in between hand. No skits. No running, songs and dances. Yeah, running through sets of movies and saying hey what's t2 doing here or whatever (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i could just see like crystal calling him t2 T2. hi t2 (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing here (laughs) let's get in the car with thelma and louise So just to name a couple of movies we haven't yet talked yeah, about. Yeah, we haven't even seen those two yet for this podcast. No. So yeah, none of those filmmakers, cast, crew are going to be part of this discussion. It's only focused on the 50 movies that we've talked about so far that will be given out these awards that don't have a name. So with all that said, let's get into the awards. start off with best supporting actress and we're not going to do it like nominees we're just gonna i'm gonna give my thoughts and then you're gonna give your thoughts like my favorite and your favorite that's how we're gonna be doing this yeah i think as part of my thoughts i'll probably say other people i was considering but we're gonna start off with our pick yeah, we'll yeah. just give our picks. It's we're not awarding anyone anything. <laughs> this isn't. Yeah, this These is not are... going to go up on IMDb as like an award right. that was honored to a movie. But yeah. Okay, so best supporting actress, my pick was Mercedes Ruel 
and the Fisher King. Yeah, that's a, that's a solid choice. Honestly, I think Best Supporting Actress was one of the toughest ones I had because it is stacked oh, in, in this. I, okay, when we were filling this out, I, I did Best Actress as Mercedes Ruel, but then when I looked it up, you know, she was nominated for Best Supporting, yeah. and I yeah. was like, oh, darn. It would have made it a lot easier because, <laughs> honestly, I had it was tougher to find nominees for the Best Actress category. We didn't have a whole lot of strong lead uh, female performances, in my opinion. I don't know when well, we get there. We'll, when we we'll get there, out. I'll let you know. Um, but yeah, we have like Mercedes Rule. We also have Amanda Plummer from Fisher King, which I think deserves some consideration. And Fried Green Tomatoes had the Marys. Um, but my pick was Juliette Lewis for Cape Fear. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, very uh, early on yeah. in the podcast we saw too. But yeah, Juliette Lewis it was just... She held her own against Robert Yeah, De especially... I mean, I know she's done stuff beforehand, but this is, like, the start of her career, I think. Yeah, probably this her major... Cape Fear. Yeah, yeah. The major breakout. And becoming, like, even a great actress, even to now, like, watching Yellow Jackets. Right. I was like, she, she's always amazing in, like, everything I see her in. Yeah, and Mercedes Ruel, I think, just hasn't been in as much stuff high profile, so it's tough right. for us to know if she's continued Mer- on. The, I just, she was uh, my favorite out of, like, the 50 movies we've seen so far, like, acting-wise. It's hard to have a bad choice for a in woman. this category. <laughs> in, yeah, in, in, <laughs> yeah I, I completely understand. Um, and we should probably say we didn't consult each other about these at yeah, all. Yeah, these are, no. <laughs> we, just, we made our lists independently of each other, did not talk about it or anything, and so we're revealing them to you and to our To ourselves. <laughs> the first time. So that's actress. Uh, best Supporting Actor. Um, I had a few choices here, too. I went with Michael Jeter from A Fisher King. Hmm, okay. Um, so he played the... Uh, the singing telegram guy. The singing guy. telegram guy. Um this was also a really hard choice because you have people like Giancarlo Esposito from Night on Earth, you have Bill Nunn from Regarding Henry, and you have John Goodman and Barton Fink, all really right. could be it, but Michael Jeter is just the one that I keep sort of thinking about in the back of my head. So. Okay. For me, it was Bill Nunn in Regarding Henry. Yeah, not New Jack City, we should probably clarify. Yeah. Regarding Henry. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, as the Dodo man, he, he so was very... Well, he was barely in it, but he was when barely he, in it, yeah. But he was just kind of like the muscle and didn't really have much to say. But Bill Nunn and regarding Henry, like just that in that movie, he was always my favorite, and that's why I always watched it, even though like that movie is not meant for like eleven year old kids. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I just liked him. <laughs> he, yeah, he he carried the movie when he was in it. Yeah. And you kind of missed him when he wasn't there. Yeah, my favorite parts in that movie are, yeah, with Harrison Ford and him interacting. Like, their friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So there's our supportings. We're going to get into some of the, the MTV Movie Award type categories next. So we'll talk about Best Villain. Uh, for me, Best Villain was Robert De Niro and Kate Fear. Okay. As Max Katie. Okay. I went with Wesley Snipes oh, as okay. Nino Brown, just because he was just pure villainy. I mean, Rob De Niro made my shortlist as well. Like, we have... His character... He's a scary dude. I don't know. If you yeah. if you come across that type of person in real life, I, I mean, I'd be scared. Yeah. 
I could be convinced. To, to and plus, he, I mean, he was in jail yeah. for raping and murdering women. So that's true. And then he has the he, stalker behavior. He, he's, he's he's got that. Uh, yeah, he's like a charmer to women, and then he uses them. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I just didn't. I didn't choose it this time. Um, and I, Robert De Niro did like a very good job being like a very scary guy and then also kind of like a charming guy to like Juliet Lewis's character that's true he has the even and Ileana Douglas like the yeah. way he was just very charming I mean that's just you know like that serial killer type of mentality it's just that's creepier to me yeah, then like a gangster. I I mean, I, I I'm with you. I, I mean, I understand where you're coming from for sure. Um, a couple other people I want to mention just as a short list. We have like Tom Villard from Popcorn, and pa- Patrick Bergen has also like the stalker mentality and sleeping with the enemy, and Bolo Young from mm. uh, Double Impact was on there. Uh, best death scene. Okay, my <laughs> there were a lot to choose from here too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my favorite death scene was in one of the worst movies we've seen, <laughs> but it was a really cool beginning to a, the movie was Kiss Before Dying, where Sean Young falls to her death. That was my pick too. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's honestly like one of the most memorable of them. Yeah, yeah, that's the most memorable, like her falling... And her, like, reacting to that glass and then, like, her brain splattering like, is... That yeah. that was the best part of the entire movie, I think. Yeah, I mean, it set the scene for what should have been a better movie. Right. And, and we talked about it at the time that it was probably just stealing from Suspiria to mm, a yeah. degree. Yeah. Um, but it was still impactful and it's I mean, one we, of the most memorable should, sequences. That's also, like, if we do, like, another category, like, best opening scene... Yeah. Would be another interesting category. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, Kiss Before Dying in general had a lot of decent deaths. Yeah, the deaths in there were... Super... Good. Disturbing and realistic. I mean, I don't want to say good as in they died well. (laughs) Yeah, no, but But I... Yeah, they're... Realistic almost. Yeah, they are very... Like, even the guy that hung himself and then then the whole thing where he went into the hotel room and like strangled that woman and chopped her whole body up and then put her in a suitcase and he was able to go get out of that clean without anyone catching him right <laughs> yeah i guess those were the there's, best there's parts of, of that entire movie yeah the grizzly dust that were that were realistic is the best part about that movie the only one that didn't really fit is when he got hit by the train at the end yeah the, like the ending is puppet, the worst like the entire last half hour of that movie of like finding out about the train and him as a little boy staring out at a train and then being mad at that train company <laughs> it was dumb but, but y- yeah I, I think it's i think it's telling that we've watched a couple horror movies and they did not get the best death scene nods like you know popcorn had several i, I was thinking of like the electric chair one was kind of cool yeah um freddy's dead yeah because i was Nightmare, like, i was thinking like freddy's i mean they were too freddy's, jokey for me yeah freddy's dead none of those well except the one for with the ear yeah but even then it had like 
was kind of too jokey. Yeah, because, you know, had, the, like, the pin drop joke to spoof the commercials at the time from Sprint and right. whatnot. So. It, if it was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 1 through 5, I would have picked yeah, probably. a death from one of those movies. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, you got... I mean, even, like, Terror Within, like, those deaths... Terror Within, I was almost thinking about choosing that because of how jokey it was. Like, the guy who got, like, smashed with the rock early on <laughs> and stuff like that. But, yeah, oh, man, those are just... Those were funny death scenes. And also, like, the, the Unborn, too, where the guy got stabbed through the eye by the little mutant The baby, baby yeah. <laughs> pit and the pendulum falling in the pit. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that happen in here, but... Yeah, or there was a cat, cat spell. Was honest, spell. That yeah. was honestly on my short. Like I almost thought of like the guy getting killed by the mutant chicken. Like that almost uh. was my choice. But Kiss Before Dying was too good, too legitimately good. Um, so let's move on to best comedic performance. So uh, for that one, I went a little bit. I was thinking, you know, like Leslie Nielsen. We got um, Christina Applegate even. I was thinking, like, J.O. Sanders from V.I. Warshawski did a really good job with his character. Um, Dominique Pignon from Delicatessen was on my shortlist, too. Richard Drivis almost took the nod from What About Bob. I know that, like... Really? Yeah, I mean, I like his performance more than I liked Bill Murray's, just because of the progression of the character of Richard Dreyfus and how he was able to carry that through. Um, but I gave it to Mantat Ng from Fight Before School, Uncle Tat. Oh, fight back to school? Yeah, what did I say? Fight after school? Fight before school. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave okay. it to Man Tat Ng, Uncle Tat from Fight Before Oh, okay. Fight, fight before. back to school. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I don't know. I just, I liked how he was able to switch characters all the time. You know, because he had, you know, he pretended to have the disability to keep himself from working, and then he would just, like, go back to normal when okay. he was having interactions with them, and, like, the, the slapstick nature of it, and he did, like, that little magic trick with the pipe or whatever, and, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of fun little moments with him, so. I went, for, I went... Okay, yeah, for me, I did Stephen Chow for oh, Fight okay. Back to School, <laughs> but I was thinking, like, everyone in that t entire movie was funny. Yeah. Like, even the woman like uh, just all the kids like the way everyone's like reactions to things like when they show the female teacher and they're like oh like yeah, i don't know it was very over the top but, but it was, it still was effective it was funny still to me i don't know yeah so we're on the same page we just chose different people yeah all right best we have best kids performance yes best performance by a kid i did not choose anyone who was like Clearly, like high school age or oh, higher. Oh, see, I did kids as in like ensemble. Oh, okay. I picked an individual. Oh, okay. So why don't you go first? Well, I did all the kids from All I Want for Christmas. So that's like Ethan Embry, Thora Birch, Amy Oberer, and then Patrick Lebrecki as sure. Marshall. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. And there's a lot of good kid performances across the board in 1991 movies as well. Uh, my choice was Thor. I since I did an individual, I picked Thor Birch. Um, but yeah, Ethan Embry's on there. I think uh, you have to consider people like Angela Gothels from V.I. Warshawski, mm -hmm. Charlie Korsma. What about Bob? Brandon Quinton, who carried people under the stairs on his back. Yeah. A lot of it. Um, 
but yeah, I didn't choose people like from have... Rock and Roll High School Forever. I didn't choose any of those people because you know, they're, they're kind too of old like to be adulty, yeah. And they may, in some cases, that's be what I was also too. thinking of like Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, but it's just like you know, the littler kids didn't the, have much to do. Yeah, the littler kids were kind of barely in it. It was mostly Christina Alper- Applegate. And like suburb, suburban commando, and like, like yes, those <laughs> the kids weren't even kids had more had yeah. more lines than the actual kids in the family. Right, Hogan was staying. So, uh, yeah, all I want for Christmas had the best child acting, according to us. Uh, best performance by an animal. I'm picking Butch from Terror Within Two. Me too. <laughs> I said Booch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there is less Booch to choose. Is the best. Well, less yeah. Less to choose here. There's several dogs though. We got like Elvis from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. You have Prince from People Under the Stairs, which I thought about choosing too. Yeah. Um, but Booch had to act and like play dead, and you know all this. He kind saved of stuff. the day he in saved, the first hero in the first one. And he unfortunately, I mean, he sort of saved the day in the second one. He was protecting his master, and his master's like girlfriend i guess and then he gets killed yeah so poor booch but we'll see booch again butch is actually in another 1991 movie so uh andrew stevens cast his own dog in in another movie so we'll see we'll see butch at some point in the future and we'll see if he's a two-time winner mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, getting a little more serious i guess now <laughs> best international feature I was debating whether or not to, to pick what I picked just because, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, it, we've seen quite a few international features, surprisingly enough. Like, we've seen uh, Europa, which I kind of forgot about while, like, making this list, you know? It's not it, really... It's a good movie, and it's worth, like, I don't yeah. know, it's worth consideration, but it's, it was never, like, at the forefront of my mind. Salmon berries may not, you may not consider international, but I would. Um, well, because, yeah, they're in, they go to Germany and yeah, it's, they're in Alaska mostly, but yeah, the production it's also, it was IMDb also like in German, US movie. yeah, and there is parts, like all the German parts, we didn't know what they were saying. Right. Yeah, because they didn't subtitle everything there. Um, we see Millions is technically an international movie, even though it's all English, right? right? Uh, Fight Back to School, Solo Conto Pareja, Delicatessen, All the Mornings of the World. My pick is only yesterday. I did All the Mornings in the World. Okay. I was debating whether or not to do that, because I don't, yeah. But yeah, I'm picking only yesterday. Both are very much well worth watching. I mean, yeah, they both movies um surprised me even though i i guess i knew that only yesterday was a studio ghibli movie so i would i knew that i would automatically like it but watching like all the mornings of the world i was like what the hell are we gonna get into yeah because like in the beginning i was like Ugh, am i gonna like this because it starts off you know really weird with Gerard Depardieu's face mm-hmm. and I'm like I'm not into this <laughs> but then I mean that movie like blew me away just I don't know I guess we'll get into it later yeah but just like the acting and cinematography and and I've never even heard of that movie like at all 
No, I hadn't either. So and it's like, yeah, I have a, an aversion to period pieces, and then you add that it's actually pretty slow moving in general. It's, it's very methodical in its nature, but it's it works. It works really well. But I still went still went with Oli yesterday because of its. There's so much charm in that, and like the varying animation styles, and um, just the the nostalgia that it brings, even if you're not like directly connected to some of the pieces and stories in there. So yeah. Um, move on to best score. This was toughest for me. Yeah, cause I I mean I pay attention to like music a lot, but I'm mostly um, commenting on it. <laughs> It's like in one ear and out the other for me. Well, I'm, I I'm most like I, I pay attention to more bad scores than maybe good ones because I'd be yeah. like, what the hell's up with this music? Yeah. And that's what was mostly in my mind. But I was trying to, I was like, what did I? And then there's like music that I really liked. And I don't know, I went with like millions because <laughs> I okay. just really liked the. I wish I could find that soundtrack somewhere. Yeah, the Millions score doesn't really fit the movie of Millions. But in that, like, I just the music that they use during the scenes yeah. does not match the tone of the scene. But the music is really good. Yeah, that's... so yeah, taken away from the visual side, it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I'm picking Daughters of the Dust, and I wonder if it, you know, from John Barnes, and I'm wondering if that's partly like recency bias, just because. It's one of the most recent movies that we've watched, and while yeah. I can understand what's, you know, I can comment on the score at the time, if you give me a few weeks, I'm not going to remember right. anything about the music well, of that, most I movies. guess Millions is also a kind of recency bias, too. Yeah, it? so I was trying to go through some of our past notes, and we commented on, like, Cape Fear with, you know, Elmer Bernstein and, you know, doing Bernard Herrmann, you know, all, you know, combining forces in a sense, you know, in a weird sense. Um... Ennio Morricone with Bugsy and Lalo Schifrin from FX2 as well. We've mm -hmm. talked about those scores in our episodes in the past, so without watching the movie again, to hear that again, it's tougher for me to comment. Yeah. So. But, I mean, Daughters of the Dust, I do remember that it didn't really seem fully connected to the movie, and it felt just very atmospheric and, and you know, ethereal. So mm -hmm. that's my choice. Best song I thought was also going to be very difficult to do, but going through some of the movies, there's quite a few different options, both serious and non-serious. I didn't want to do like a a cheesy song though, because no, ultimately I did not. But I'll I'll list a couple out if you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what did you pick? I picked Katie Lang's song "Barefoot" for Salmon Berries. So so did I. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, it was I mean, haunting that was like, and beautiful. And... Yeah, it was specifically made for that movie. That's why I chose that. I feel like the other movies, or, the, yeah, the other songs for the other movies that I could remember, they're just, like, really cheesy. There may be more like that... Cool as Ice or something like that. Yeah, yeah, Cool as Ice is in there. Um, Suburban Commando has two. You have, like, Ramsey, or It's a Nice Place to Live, but I Wouldn't Want to Visit, where Hulk Hogan just, does some bad vocals. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just, like, people messing around. Like, the, the, like Katie Lang's song is an actual, like, thought, like thoughtful 
Yeah, that's the most serious one. And honestly, it's serious one, yeah. It's one of the ones where you'd be surprised that it wasn't nominated for. I was also work. thinking, like, because was there a song for Only Yesterday? Because I like, I guess I like the music in Only Yesterday. Yeah, I don't know if I should have picked remember, it. I won't remember. For, what like, it was score. Like. I just, I remember there was, like, something at the end. But I don't know oh, if it, it was. Yeah, because uh, I just edited it for YouTube. They did a cover of Bette Midler's. Song. Yeah, The Rose. Okay, yeah, it was yeah. like a Japanese. See, maybe I should have. See, I mean, I like that too. I think I think Salmon Berries is your best choice. Um, yeah. We did have another like original like song, Dreams to Dream from American Tale, that was probably courting award yeah. nominations, but it just didn't I mean, reach I the like Somewhere Out There way more than. Me too. The. Fievel Goes West song. But I'll say a couple other Dork Horse ones. Uh, Feel the Impact by <laughs> Jen or Jen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of kitschy, but it's also, you know, just early 90s poppy fun. Yeah. And then Rock and Roll High School Forever's theme song was one that I hated when I first heard it, and then it just continued to grow on me uh, as the movie went on. So Yeah, I mean, that was the same song used for the first first movie though no. right no no definitely not okay. first one was just ramones yeah didn't they, i don't even remember what the... oh you'll have to hear it again okay yeah. <laughs> I, I remember his, the band yeah. and their random pursuit song. of happiness was the band yeah but i don't um, remember anything else <laughs> well i don't I remember the music the laundromat on my short list yeah i don't <laughs> know that was like a two second snippet yeah so. i don't know about that that doesn't count so we're already like a little bit more than halfway through our awards show. At this time is when they typically give out, you know, the humanitarian awards and the lifetime achievement awards. We have our own lifetime achievement award, uh, and we're giving it to the person who has appeared in the most 1991 movies that we saw throughout the year. And so this year's lifetime achievement award goes to Kelly Jo Minter for appearing in four movies that we watched: Doc Hollywood. She has a very brief role at the beginning. New Jack City, she's in there at the uh, the rehab house. Uh, Popcorn has a significant role as one of the teenagers. Mm -hmm. And then People Under the Stairs, she's the sister of uh, the main Fool, character yeah. of Fool. So Kelly Jo Minter, I think we've seen all four of your movies. I don't remember if you appear in one more or not. Uh, I mean, we did recently watch a movie with her in it, but it's not a 1991 movie. No, she was in House Party 1. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, wait. I'm, I mean, she, yeah, I she was Is busy. Is she in the sequel? Is she in the sequel? No. Right. Uh, so. I mean, she was just really busy in the late 80s, early 90s. So depending on uh, how many... Who, who might take this Lifetime Achievement Award in the next year, this may become known as the Kelly Jo Minter Award. Yeah. Uh, now we're into the big stuff. Now we're on to Best Cinematography. Uh, I'm going to go first here. I'm going to say, I don't think this is recency bias. I, I think it's just true. Arthur Jaffa from Daughters of the Dust. Mm. Um, again, a lot of really strong contenders on this list. You got like All the Mornings of the World. You have Europa, um, Darius Kanji's work on Delicatessen. Night on Earth, I think, deserves a lot of recognition as well for how that was handled with five, you know, four different stories. Um, Salmon Berries as well with the use of color. Um, and, and light, but I went with Arthur Jaffa, Daughters of the Dust. I went with All the Mornings in the World. 
I think it's very solid. Eve Angelo. Yeah, I, that has such striking use of color. And I mean, it there just are parts. Everything yeah, look like a there are parts in the movie painting. where you literally think it's a painting, and then it like pans out, and it's just like a bowl of fruit in like someone's window on a table. I think a couple of the shots are specifically and then you recreating see it's recreating paintings, a painting, but the rest of it feels like it is a painting. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, yeah, you think it's a painting, but then I don't know. You see something move, and you're like, "Oh my god, it's not a painting at all." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, there's there's a lot of great choices in this. So, um, we're on to best male performance. We're getting near the end here. Uh, a lot of good choices here as well. I went with Robin Williams from Fisher King. Um, oh, okay. So did I. So we can. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Jeff Bridges is is worth considering. Um, Jean Pierre Marielle from All the Mornings of the World, I think, is a, a dark horse pick. That. Yeah, the father. So yeah. completely compelling with saying so few words. Um, the work that Dominique Pignon did in Delicatessen with, I had yeah, I think I had him in my comedic performance list as well, just because like he is a former clown and he does all of these actual tricks you know within the movie and you know just um, but Robin Williams is just I think yeah this is like the beginning of him maybe like going from like comedy into more drama like when he starts doing like Goodwill Hunting and he had done uh, like, Dead Poet Society. Oh, okay, and right, right. I, like that's... Good Morning Vietnam. Okay. Is, I mean, he was like the comic relief in that. I, I think it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. So yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess but Dead Poet Society is movie. Yeah, the beginning Dead Poet Society of his is kind of, but he also dramatic plays that career. Comedic. Yeah, he always plays like the fun-loving friend guy who cracks jokes, but is also serious but i guess even yeah. like goodwill hunting was like that yeah he very few situations where he plays straight serious without using his comedic abilities in some way and even here he uses comedic abilities but that's to it's kind of like dealing empathy. with someone who has who's dealing with like ptsd after seeing their wife die right in front of them yeah and struggling to find himself but also knowing exactly who he is at the same time mm-hmm. in a weird way and yeah just just the way he's able to manipulate his his face and voice and actions to just convey exactly what you need him to at any given moment it's just, yeah perfect um on the other side of the coin worst actor we're going in the Razzie territory. <laughs> Worst actor of 1991. I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> there, there's quite a I mean, few. Mine is kind of like recency bias, too. I, I picked Eric Estrada because I was like... Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 He's mean, on my short list. <laughs> okay, because I, I mean, I've honestly never watched Chips, and I only know Eric Estrada is doing like popping up and like rant like Love Boat or whatever and being like himself. Yeah, he's, and I don't he's know like what his actual himself. acting ability is. Yeah, but him playing like a jockey, eighteen-year-old, 
<laughs> it was just funny, I don't know, and not great. And then even when We're he was in Earth Angel, yeah, in Earth Angel, and then even him in as like a forty-year-old, I guess, was not. I don't know. I just, I just was like, it was not great. I don't know. I was no, just laughing. A lot of the acting in that movie was not too great. I have Kathy Pudwell on my short list of the worst actresses, but, mm. but um, I'm going with Vanilla Ice. I know it seems like it's kind of obvious. But he was really bad. I that. I just I almost picked him, but I was like, I think that was just, I mean, for that movie, I think that was just him being him, and I don't think he even wanted to. I don't know if act. he knew how to play himself. Is the thing, like the only time where I got any sort of sense of personality from him when 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 the the montage scenes where he wasn't talking. And they're when you know, he's like, like dancing around. around in the construction site and stuff like yeah. that. That's the only time I got any actual personality from Yeah, him. when he's talking, he's just like, what, what? Yeah. Just very <laughs> Making up random sayings, which I, I understand. <laughs> I get it. So, I mean, there, yeah. Obviously, horror movies have a lot of bad acting typically, but I found that most of the lead performances in the horror movies we watched were decent. Like, un, you know, Unborn had a decent lead character. Pitting the Pendulum, I think, was probably one of the worst ones. The Jonathan Fuller uh, is the, yeah. you know, the boyfriend or wife, or I'm sorry, husband of the whatever. Um, and then Andrew Stevens in Terror Within 2, also not so good. So um, I also have Chris O'Donnell listed here for Fried Green Tomatoes. He's probably, you know, supporting, worse supporting. Uh, yeah, actor. I mean, I, he, I barely, he was, he was barely in it. I don't know. I just remember him being really bad in the scenes that he was in. Mm. Uh, but Vanilla Ice gets my nod. On the best for female performance side, I had a tougher time building a list from this. Oh, I mean, the person that I picked, I don't, I guess, I don't even know if that's, like, lead actress now. Well, why don't you say who it is, because I probably have her on my lead list, too. I put Mary Stuart Masterson from Fried Green Tomatoes. Oh, okay. I mean, but personally, she's I would... supporting? I don't know how they determine that stuff. Because I, mean, I, she... I was going to pick, like, all the four ladies in that movie. Yeah, I know that, um... I think Jessica Tandy was nominated for supporting. Oh, and Kathy Bates and was Kathy lead? And then Kathy Bates would have been for the lead side. But the two Marys were not nominated at all, I don't think. And so I no, don't know they how weren't. they would have been considered. That's why I'm putting them on the list. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm... Yes, let's. I say you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I was and like, I, I don't know the definition that, of Mary like because I don't because like Mercedes Ruel, I I almost put there because I thought she would be. She's the lead actress in that movie. Yeah, but she's a supporting role in the story. That's what I mean. I understand it, but I'm also like confused well i think also a lot of because studios... then like mary stewart masterson i understand because you know that's i guess the lead would be kathy bates because it's her st- about her story i guess i her think studios also decide... and jessica tandy telling the story to her right via two other women <laughs> but if the if the goal is to get as many nominations as possible Someone like Mercedes Ruel is going to have a much better chance in the supporting actress category than she would in the lead actress lead category actress? against people like... What, like Jodie Foster? Jodie Foster. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's part of the consideration oh. when they, 
you know, put them up for nomination in certain categories I mean, we, is they're looking at who who they might be up against. We haven't seen choose. those movies yet for, for the, the podcast. for the pot. I mean, we've seen the movies, just not for this yet. Yeah. So. So and then I think that's also like I think all, um I even think like uh what was it Selma and Louise aren't they? I don't know. How Isn't it's... Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis both? They're probably both lead. Yeah. I, I haven't looked because we haven't gotten there. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Know. That's what I mean. When I got to Fried Green Tomatoes, I was like, well, then who was lead? And then I just put Mary Stewart Masterson because I just liked her as you know the bee charmer. Well, look, it's our it, it's our <laughs> award show. We can make those rules as we see fit. So that and she wasn't even nominated. Her, I, I mean, I was gonna put like both the both both the Marys in fried green tomatoes. I think the one that I had listed that I wasn't sure counted was Anne Brochette from All the Mornings of the World. Mm-hmm. I put her in lead performance, but she didn't. She's not my pick. I actually picked Julia Roberts. Oh, okay. Um, from Sleeping with the Enemy, because in such a a movie that could have gone wrong, she made it go right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think, again, I had sort of a tough time. I, I was thinking of, like, Daisy Ridley from Only Yesterday, but that doesn't really count because it's the dub from, like, 2016. And right. then, like, Annette Benning from Bugsy, maybe. Well, I thought you didn't like... I didn't like her. I didn't her. think she had enough... I don't know. I think she was just sort of there as like a place setting. And so that's, you know, but again, I didn't have much to think. Of. Like Helen Hunt is on my short list from um, The Panel of Smart. New Hampshire. Yeah. Murder, Murder in New Hampshire. And yeah. Christina Applegate from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead because she did a really good job with her, you know, carrying that movie as well with the comedic performance and, you know, some of the drama right. stuff. But I mean, there aren't a whole lot of like strong female characters that have a lot of depth in the movies that we watched, unfortunately. So I picked Julia Roberts because... Partly because of that. Okay. Worst actress is a lot easier to choose. Uh, that was easy for me. That's like a no-brainer, I think. Sean Young, yep. just before dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think she won the Razzie. Yeah, I, forget, I mean, I that's, that made me think. I know think. she's nominated twice. Once for, like, the the what? woman who, uh, the twin that gets murdered. Oh, and, the and then the other survives. twin. <laughs> the <laughs> one that lives and one that dies. Yeah, she got nominated twice. I mean, because when watching this movie, I was like, I thought Sean Young was a good actress, like, yeah. the entire time. And she is a good actress otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Just not in this movie. Um, I was thinking, like, Winona Ryder in Night Before. Eh, I don't Winona know. Earth was not great. Lorraine Bracco from Talent for the Game. Oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, that mean, scene where she's like, I don't know. And Penelope Ann Miller just I being feel bored like... to death during other people's money. Oh, yeah. Alana Shaw from uh, Double Impact I also put on there. I mean, I but... was thinking of all these, like, like, terror within to just the women in there. Yeah, I mean. But it's like they didn't really showcase the women that much except no, for like, a lot of, like lead except women. for the woman who what who got pregnant yeah but even then i don't know it just didn't seem like she had a, a meaty role and yeah when she was acting she wasn't terrible right so and um who was it in the unborn karen allen i thought she, she was, was fine yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean 
it, it's tough to it, pick it was like the men not doing good in those movies the uh, yeah like the stereotypical genres that you would think you would find the worst acting performances in were fine they were serviceable for the most part or even yeah even uh freddy's dead yeah i thought yeah you have lisa fine. zane and i thought and, that was fine and um or even millions. I'm thinking of like all the women in all these movies that we really didn't like, and all the women did fine. Right. <laughs> or they're good. <laughs> they're good actresses. They're, it was just like better than others. It was just like watching Sean Young, and I was like second guessing myself. I was like, wait, is she good or right? <laughs> is she a good actress or is she bad? Um, yeah, I think she just probably was not given proper direction in this. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Uh, which leads into our next category, Best Director. There's a lot... Of, we've seen a lot of major directors' films this year. So I just want to name off a few. we got Terry Gilliam, Martin Scorsese, Mike Nichols, Joel Cohen, Jim Jarmusch, Elaine Corneau, Alfonso Cuaron, Lars von Trier. Uh, a lot of, like, major-name directors, and we haven't even gotten all of them on this podcast, so... Um, out of out of those, or even beyond that, uh, who was your best director? Um, I did Joel Cohen, Barton Fink. All right. That's I was crazy. thinking either that or like uh, Jean Pierre Jeunet. Oh yeah, There's for someone. Delicatessen. Yeah. Or because I mean, is that like Mark? Is that because it's Mark Caro and Jean Pierre? Yeah, they share directing duties on this one. That's where I was like. I don't know who to pick. I just I picked Joel Cohen for Barton Fink mainly because that's another movie that I've always wanted to see it and I didn't see it until like almost a year ago and then I'm sad I didn't watch it like 30 years ago because <laughs> I probably would have been like super obsessed with it. And now you have. Yeah. And you're super obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um. I'll also add Julie Dash as part of the shortlist. Um, and I went with Terry Gilliam, though, for Fisher King. Mm. And I know that his directing style is very similar to what he's done in the past with, like, Brazil, especially, and, you know, Fear and Loathing Las Vegas after this. But it just fits perfectly. He picks the projects that fit his visual style with, like, the, the wide angles and the fish eyes and just the intricate details and the canted angles and, you know, the straightforward talking to the camera at times and all this kind of other stuff. Just everything worked to make one of the most fascinating, visually appealing movies of the year. So, that's my pick. Now, we have three categories left, and we're actually going to start with best movie of the year okay yes <laughs> which is atypical of most award shows but here we go uh we're saying what what is the best movie of the year should i go first uh i mean we probably picked the same probably it's only yesterday yeah because that's my first five but it's also my number one out yes, of your top ranked five my top ranked five yeah and out of the 50 that we've seen. Yeah, I wrote down what my my top five movies have been in terms of ranking. And Europa is there at number five. Night on Earth. Daughters of the Dust. Fisher King. And Only Yesterday is my number one. 
And I w- I'll say that, like, just because something is the top ranked doesn't necessarily mean it's, like, the best or most favorite. Mm-hmm. At least in terms of what, how I rank movies, it's it's about technical prowess as in conjunction with emotionality and, and you know, whatnot. Uh, so yeah, I think Europa I... is number five <laughs> in terms of best produced movie, but it's not my fifth most favorite that we've watched, for instance. Yeah. But Only Yesterday is number one in both international and best movie yeah and also just yeah favorite and top ranked um so that's why i was kind of wondering if i should choose it for best international because i knew i was going to pick it for best movie and i didn't know if i wanted to kind of separate that out a bit I mean, but there's it is like, international so how yeah could not? yeah it's that's kind of like now we're at the oscars they're like with parasite yeah, if Parasite is listed as the best picture nominee and also best international, international. feature, you know it's going to win best international. Yeah, so, but it could win best movie and best international. Right, which it did. Which it did, which is the first time it happened I right. think, in the Oscars history. Um, so the same thing happened with my awards here. So uh, on the other side of the coin, we got to talk about the worst movie of the year. And again, same type of thing. Just because it's the lowest rank doesn't necessarily mean it's the worst movie. Yeah, the lowest ranked movie for me. (laughs) I think we're both in agreement again. Uh, Maybe. Kiss Before Dying for me. Uh, Me, it's Terror Within 2. Oh, okay. I forgot that you ranked that a little bit lower than me. Yeah, yeah. That's That's not even on my bottom five. Uh, I mean... (laughs) The... (laughs) I mean, it's... (laughs) <laughs> it's I think everything is just like so absurd in that movie and then it just took the same plot as the first one and then people made the same mistakes in the first movie in the second one yeah. and then the monsters in the second one were worse than the monsters in the first one and like the visual and then effects were worse in the, the first one the killings were bad like everything that's it made what no I mean. sense I would watch, and then the killings in Kiss Before Dying are obviously better than the deaths in Terror Within 2. That's why Kiss Before Dying is just above. Just slightly above. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'll say the other, the other parts uh, of my bottom five. So Kiss Before Dying is the worst for me. Talent for the Game is number two. Bare Essentials, number three. Impromptu, number four. I really hated Impromptu for what it was. Uh, it was fine. <laughs> Rock and Roll High School Forever is one of those cases where it's the the fifth worst movie in terms of rankings, but it's one that I would watch again. Mm-hmm. It's one that I would enjoy. It just was not well made. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah. That's what that is. Um, and now we're on to the final category of the night. The most 90s movie. It's original to this award show. The movie that best epitomizes 1991, the culture, the time period, all that kind of good stuff. What would you consider to be your most 90s movie that we've watched so far? I picked Cool as Ice. It is definitely Cool as Ice. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just all the sayings, like, drop that zero, get with the hero. Yeah, you got I'm gonna go across the street, schling my schlong. Or I don't know, just you got the fashion. Yeah, the fat, the the clothes, the hair, the music, the music, like the video, the filmmaking visual style. Yeah, it's like yeah. the music video. The, the it was very message. much like music video ish. 
yeah, quick editing, short attention span type of thing that's going on and trying to be visually dynamic. Um, yeah, if, if you wanted to show somebody this is what 1991 was like, show them cool as ice. Yeah. I also, yeah, I had like Suburban Commando and like Rock and Roll High School and Don't Tell Mom and New Jack City is part of those options, but Cool as Ice just blows them out of the water. There's oh, really no yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing else like there's the nothing def- else like, like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, someone defined the 90s or early 90s yeah. and this is it. I mean, Rock and Roll High School is kind of like just even taking stuff from like the 70s or even like the 50s yeah it's you almost know? a little bit outdated but they do have some of that quirkiness in terms of like you know, yeah the camera positions and the angles and just the non sequitur scenes and mm-hmm. some of that stuff is in there too and also the music is trying to be 90s but i think you have more of like the r&b i mean side don't yeah don't tell mom cool the babysitter is dead too just like with the fashion mm-hmm. but yeah, I the mean, fashion and like what it's kind of like really. to be a kid in that time period as well, with right. parents around. So you get to yeah. see the stores and when they're like bouncing around on the bouncy balls. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, we can also. I mean, this is another like career recent. Opportunities we didn't even talk yeah. about at all. Yeah. Yeah, this is another recent thing is career opportunities, but. That's, yeah, if you want to see how a Target looks in 1991, you don't <laughs> right. get to see anything else besides it. I mean, the fashion, I mean, it was mostly what um, Jennifer Connelly was wearing, but the, I mean, you can wear that now. I don't know, but I mean, some of the clothes that in Vanilla and like Cool as Ice, I guess you can probably wear that now too, but it was just obviously very 90s. Yes. It was not shying away from it. It was not trying to be of its time. Even just the the concept of having Vanilla Ice, who was a 1990 rap superstar, mm-hmm. and giving him his own movie. Just that whole idea of like the product placement, for lack of a better word, is also 1991 in a sense. So, because you had a whole bunch of musical artists and and personalities getting their own like TV shows, cartoon shows, and movies around this time as well. So. Cool as Ice is your most 90s movie of 1991. Uh, But thank you very much for indulging in our uh, first award show, our year in review, our best of 1991, 2021 edition. So as for the podcast, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. It does help us out a lot. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're back to our regularly scheduled program. We're starting off year two with House Party 2. That's available on HBO Max, VHS, and DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.